it has become a sarcastic proverb that a thing must be true if you saw it in a newspaper. That is the opinion intelligent people have of that lying vehicle in a nutshell. But the trouble is that the stupid people who constitute the grand overwhelming majority of this and all other nations do believe and are molded and convinced by what they get out of a newspaper. And there is where the harm lies. That awful power, the public opinion of a nation, is created in America by a horde of ignorant, self-complacent simpletons who failed at ditching and shoemaking and fetched up in journalism on their way to the poorhouse. Ooh, he sounds mad. Hi there, you're with me, Iser, on Folksy, the Storytime podcast. Welcome back to the second season where we explore the best and most bewitching short story spinners of the 19th century. So, you can practically see the pattern emerging here with the intro snippets and everything, right? Mark Twain is quoted as saying that intro quote during his license of the press speech in 1873. Again, this may not really be relevant to the story at hand, but it does give us insight into how little has changed in the past 150 odd years and how much has remained blatantly similar Mark Twain or Samuel Langhorne Clements needs no introductions to anyone who has heard of the quintessential boyhood stories of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn While Mr Twain has a lot more content to his name it's the two boy wonders who continue to enthrall kids and adults alike in their multitude of renditions Today's tale comes from an anthology called The Mysterious Stranger and Other Stories The Mysterious Stranger for those who don't know is one of Mr Twain's stories with four different versions all by him and all apparently unfinished by the time of his demise. We'll not be opening that particular kettle of fish today though. Let's read. Hunting the Deceitful Turkey by Samuel Langhorne Clements aka Mark Twain. When I was a boy, my uncle and his big boys hunted with the rifle. The youngest boy Fred and I with a shotgun, a small single barreled shotgun which was properly suited to our size and strength. It was not much heavier than a broom. We carried it turn about, half an hour at a time. I was not able to hit anything with it, but I liked to try. Fred and I hunted feathered small game. The others hunted deer, squirrels, wild turkeys and such things. My uncle and the big boys were good shots. They killed hawks and wild geese and such like on the wing, and they didn't wound or kill squirrels. They stunned them. When the dogs treed a squirrel, the squirrel would scamper aloft and run out on a limb and flatten himself along it, hoping to make himself invisible in that way. and not quite succeeding you could see his wee little ears sticking up you couldn't see his nose but you knew where it was then the hunter despising a rest for his rifle stood up and took offhand aim at the limb and sent a bullet into it immediately under the squirrel's nose and down tumbled the animal unwounded but unconscious the dogs gave him a shake and he was dead Sometimes when the distance was great and the wind not accurately allowed for the bullet would hit the squirrel's head 
The dogs could do as they pleased with that one. The hunter's pride was hurt and he wouldn't allow it to go into the game bag that way. In the first faint grey of the dawn, the stately wild turkeys would be stalking around in great flocks and ready to be sociable and answer invitations to come and converse with other excursionists of their kind. The hunter concealed himself and imitated the turkey call by sucking the air through the leg bone of a turkey which had previously answered a call like that and lived only just long enough to regret it. There is nothing that furnishes a perfect turkey call except for that bone. Another of nature's treacheries, you see. She is full of them. Half the time, she doesn't know which she likes best, to betray her child or protect it. In the case of the turkey, she is badly mixed. She gives it a bone to be used in getting it into trouble, and she also furnishes it with a trick for getting itself out of the trouble again. When a mama turkey answers an invitation and finds she has made a mistake in accepting it, she does as the mama partridge does, remembers a previous engagement, and goes limping and scrambling away, pretending to be very lame. And at the same time, she is saying to her non-visible children, Lie low, keep still, don't expose yourselves. I shall be back as soon as I have beguiled this shabby swindler out of the country. When a person is ignorant and confiding, this model device can have tiresome results. I followed an ostensibly lame turkey over a considerable part of the United States one morning because I believed in her and could not think she would deceive a mere boy and one who was trusting her and considering her honest. I had the single-barreled shotgun, but my idea was to catch her alive. I often got within rushing distance of her and then made my rush, but always, just as I made my final plunge and put my hand down where her back had been, it wasn't there. It was only two or three inches from there and I brushed the tail feathers as I landed on my stomach. A very close call, but still not quite close enough. That is, not quite close enough for success, but just close enough to convince me that I could do it next time. She always waited for me, a little piece away, and let on to be resting and greatly fatigued. Which was a lie, but I believed it. For I still thought her honest long after I ought to have begun to doubt her, suspecting that this was no way for a high-minded bird to be acting. I followed and followed and followed, making my periodical rushes, and getting up and brushing the dust off, and resuming the voyage with patient confidence. Indeed, with a confidence which grew, for I could see by the change of climate and vegetation that we were getting up into the high latitudes and she always looked a little tireder and a little more discouraged after each rush. I judged that I was safe to win in the end, the competition being purely a matter of staying power and the advantage lying with me from the start because she was lame. Along in the afternoon, I began to feel fatigued myself. Neither of us had had any rest since we first started on the excursion, which was upwards of 10 hours before, though latterly we had paused a while after rushes. I letting on to be thinking about something else, but neither of us sincere and both of us waiting for the other to call game, but in no real hurry about it. For indeed, those little evanescent snatches of rest were very grateful to the feelings of us both. 
it would naturally be so. Skirmishing along like that ever since dawn and not a bite in the meantime. At least for me. Though sometimes as she lay on her side fanning herself with a wing and praying for strength to get out of this difficulty, a grasshopper happened along whose time had come and that was well for her and fortunate. But I had nothing. Nothing the whole day. More than once, after I was very tired, I gave up taking her alive and was going to shoot her, but but I never did it. Although it was my right, for I did not believe I could hit her. And besides, she always stopped and posed when I raised the gun, and this made me suspicious that she knew about me and my marksmanship, and so I did not care to expose myself to remarks. Yeah, remarks from a turkey. I did not get her at all. When she got tired of the game at last, she rose from almost under my hand and flew aloft with a rush and whir of a shell and lit on the highest limb of a great tree and sat down and crossed her legs and smiled down at me and seemed gratified to see me so astonished. I was ashamed and also lost. And it was a while wandering the woods hunting for myself that I found a deserted log cabin and had one of the best meals there that in my life days I have eaten. The weed-grown garden was full of ripe tomatoes and I ate them ravenously, though I had never liked them before. Not more than two or three times since have I tasted anything that was so delicious as those tomatoes. I surfeited myself with them and did not taste another one until I was in middle life. I can eat them now, but I do not like the look of them. I suppose we have all experienced the surfeit at one time or another. Once, in stress of circumstances, I ate part of a barrel of sardines, there being nothing else at hand, but since then, I have always been able to get along without sardines. And that was today's tale. I gotta say, this story just drew me in like no other and it didn't feel like it was going to end and also it may just have been that I didn't want it to end. Maybe I felt like it was lacking a central plot point but there was a central plot point it did adhere to its title but it's just so unlike the stories of today that have this focus on purposeful action that sometimes just gets in the way of the natural feeling that we get from stories because even with fantasy people like to feel like they can relate right and yeah I guess in the speed of life that we have in this technological age of ours it's more and more easy to relate to something that is fast-paced but that's mainly because life conditions us to think about memory in that way our lives are not really that full. We may choose to make them as full or make them as empty as possible that we also may one day go and chase a turkey across a whole country for 10 hours. I feel like my thoughts got more and more confused as I tried to express them about the story, but never mind. What did you think about the story? Is there something you agree with me about or was I totally off the mark? Also, how are you liking this new second season? Let's get a conversation going. As always, this text is available for you to read, review and enjoy for free on gutenberg.org. That's G-U-T-E-N-B-E-R-G dot O-R-G. I'll be back next week with a brave new world or something in a ballpark. Till then, Eku Hualoha. <laughs>